we've been working our way through the book of Zechariah. Today we find ourselves in Zechariah chapter 2. So it's towards the end of the Old Testament, just before the New Testament. We find the prophets writing, the prophet Zechariah writing these prophecies. And we're in the middle of these visions. The, the first uh, part of the book is about God's call to repentance. He calls God's people to repent. And then we have this series of visions and just some history so you understand kind of what's going on. The book of Zechariah was written the same time as the, the book Haggai. And the book of Haggai is written to God's people who had been taken captive. They'd been disobedient to God and God warned them. He said, if you continue in this way, you will be taken out of your land. You will be taken captive by the country from the north, this land from the north called Babylon. They're going to take you captive and they're going to remove you from your land. And he said that will happen for 70 years. But the people didn't listen. And ultimately what happened was they were taken captive, they were removed from their land, and then after that time in captivity, some of them were allowed to return. Many of them were allowed to return. But only about 50,000 actually returned. They returned and they came to their country, including the city of Jerusalem, that lay in ruin. The walls had been destroyed. The temple where they once worshipped God had been destroyed. Their homes had been destroyed. And they started rebuilding the temple, but then they, got, they stopped. There was trouble with the economy. There was frustration and they couldn't see the temple being what it, what it once was. And they began to build their homes. And Haggai comes on the scene and he says, stop building your homes and start rebuilding the temple. Get your priorities in order. Do the work of the Lord. And then Zechariah comes on the scene with a similar message, a message that fits together with Haggai, and says, don't just do the work of the Lord, but give your heart to the Lord. Return to Me. Don't just do the work. Don't just show up in church, so to speak, is how we would apply this, but instead, give your heart to God. Don't just receive an offering by being an usher. Don't just preach a sermon. Instead, what God wants is our hearts. And that's the message of Zechariah. You see, God's people thought that they were untouchable. They thought that they had they, they lived in a city whereby nobody could touch them, but they were taken captive. Their walls couldn't protect them. And today, we see that God is the protector of His people as we look at Zechariah. So with that history in mind, let's look at our text this morning. Zechariah 2, verses 1-13. through 13. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Zechariah 2, verses 1-13. through 13. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, and said to him, run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be a glory in her midst. Ho there! Flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Ho Zion! Escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory He has sent Me against the nations which plunder you. For He who touches you touches the apple of His eye. For behold, I will wave My hand over them so that they will plunder 
so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of his word. Amen. You may be seated. So, there's a lot here, and I'm not going to deny, I've got a lot of words written on paper here, a lot of notes. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We finished up early last week, so I'm going to make up for it this week. And it may, at times, feel like you're drinking from a fire hose. Because there's a lot of information that I want you to get, but I want you to understand the background. I want you to understand the context and what I really want, and I'm praying, and you can pray with me, that I'll be able to communicate the beauty of the book of Zechariah. If nothing else, if you're not blessed by this book as we work through it, i got to tell you, I am. I am so encouraged, and I am so blessed, and I, I am just so excited every week to jump into the next vision. Because in this book... Jesus is so clearly seen. This book, all of this book, but especially Zechariah, is about Jesus Christ. So we have the Old Testament, which has all of its laws and all these things that are hard sometimes for us to understand. But here we have so clearly a picture of the coming Messiah. The one who would rescue people from their sin. Praise God for that. So in that, the beginning part of Zechariah I mentioned, we have this message of repentance. And then we have this first vision. Zechariah, the Lord comes to Zechariah at night. He has these visions. And in that first vision, we saw that God will build His kingdom. We saw that God will expand His kingdom. That He's going to, not only is He going to cause it to grow, but He's going to cause it to grow in size. That He's going to prosper His people. That He's going to care for and provide for His people. And that He will comfort His people. So that was the first vision that we saw a few weeks ago. And then last week, we saw God... We saw the second vision that God's people will face opposition. We talked about how sometimes in the Christian life, we just feel like the world is coming against us. There's forces coming from every side. That God's people will face opposition, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. But that God will rescue His people. That ultimately there is a rescue, and that rescue is found in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we have these themes which go together. And in this third vision, we have a similar kind of theme or a similar idea that is presented. That God indeed is in our midst. That He cares for us. That He loves us. And He wants us to commune with Him. And we'll see that in the text this morning. Now, before we jump too far in, I want to say this. There's some debate about these um, visions in Zechariah. There's some debate as to whether these visions, these Old Testament prophecies that, may, that are made, whether they will be fulfilled, whether they have been fulfilled by the church, or they will be fulfilled at some later point in time. And exactly, how are these prophecies fulfilled? In other words, does the church fulfill these prophecies, or does it look forward to the second coming of Christ, to Christ's physical return to earth? And we talked a little bit about, a lot about the second coming in Sunday school. So if you're with us, if you're with us in Sunday school, a lot of this should sound familiar. So with that in mind, how do these visions apply to us? Do they 
Are, are they fulfilled in the church or are they fulfilled at some future point in time? I want you to consider this. And keeping our text in mind, I want you to consider Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 24. And I'm just going to read that. It says, For you have come, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, this is speaking to the church, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and to gloom, and to whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet with the sound of words, which was such that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear of trembling. So this is Mount Sinai. He's talking about Mount Sinai. That Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling because even if a beast touches this mountain, he's going to die. He says, but you, he says, you didn't come to a mountain like that. Instead, you, believers, the church, you, those who trust in Jesus, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who is enrolled in heaven, and to God. He says, you've come to a different kind of mountain You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, and to the heavenly Jerusalem. So there's a sense where the church has come to Jerusalem. And we see these prophecies given to Jerusalem being fulfilled in the church. Yet Revelation 21, 1-4 also says this. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So we have this idea within the Scripture that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. That we are indeed part of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God does exist here and now on earth, But there's a greater fulfillment of that coming. That Jesus is coming back. And He is coming back to establish His kingdom here in a physical way. And He will bring back a new Jerusalem. Not just a heavenly Jerusalem, but a new Jerusalem. So although each of these promises contained in this vision point to the coming of the Messiah and their establishment in the church, they also have their ultimate fulfillment and their final fulfillment in His second coming. In other words, the establishment of the new Jerusalem. So I want to say this. Basically what I'm saying is that yes, these prophecies are fulfilled in part in the church, but they're fulfilled in full in the future when Christ returns. So keep that in mind as we look at these verses. Look again at verses 1 and 2. This is our third vision. Then I lifted up my eyes, Zechariah says, and I looked. And behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And some think that this man is none other than the angel of the Lord. In other words, that it's Jesus, prior to him being born, that it's the pre-incarnate Christ. However, there's no real evidence from the text to support this. And the point of interest here is not who this man is, but instead what he is doing. He is measuring the city. And this is significant because the city in Zechariah's day was but a remnant of the city that once stood. As we read in Haggai a couple of weeks ago, the people had already begun to to compare the temple that they were building to the one of Solomon's day. They looked at their temple and they thought, this is discouraging. We're building this temple, but it's never going to be anything like what Solomon built. Why bother? 
And in Haggai 2.9, God comes to them and He says, the latter glory of this house, the future glory of this house, will be greater than the former. He says, what you're building is going to be far better than what Solomon built. And in this place, He says, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He says, what you're building is going to be far greater. And that promise applies to us. That the work of the ministry is going to be so great. And we may not see it even in this lifetime. But God is indeed working and being and using us for His glory. So now look at verses 3-5. through five. He continues on with this vision and says, And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out. And another angel was coming out to meet him. And he said to him, Run, speak to that young man saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and will be a glory in her midst. From the Lord's statement in verses 3-5, through to the, to the man measuring the city, he's measuring the city to see how big it is. I want you to see three promises from uh, the Lord's statement to this man. And then we'll move on to verses 6-13 through 13 for the application of those promises. So the first of our three promises, the first point in your sermon outline is, number one, He will provide for His people. Number one, God will provide for His people. The Lord says, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because, why? Because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. You see, the description of the city stands in contrast to the man going out to measure it. There was a man measuring and he says, how big is the city going to be? Is it going to be like Solomon's city? How big is it exactly? What does this city look like? And he says, it's going to be a city without walls. It's going to be so big. So he essentially says to the angel, he says, hey, run and tell that guy to stop. He doesn't need to measure the city. For it's not even going to have walls. It's going to be a place of peace and prosperity. And this term, a city without walls, referred to a village where there was no threat where they just could, they could build their village and there was prosperity and peace because there was no threat and you didn't need to build walls around it. And he says that's what Jerusalem's going to be like. Not only are there going to be so many people that if you put walls there, the people would overflow the walls, but also it's going to be a place of peace and the people will prosper. You see, not only does the city without walls refer to the fact that God will grow and expand His kingdom, it also points to the fact that God will provide for the needs of those who are His. Not only will God bring more and more men, a multitude of men into the city, but He will also prosper the city as indicated by bringing a multitude of cattle. God had promised over and over again that He would provide for His people. Jeremiah 30, verse 18 says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwelling places, and the city will be rebuilt on its ruin, and the palace will stand on its rightful place. Or Isaiah 44.26, It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and the cities of Judah shall be built, and I will raise up her ruins again. Or in Ezekiel 36, where he says to the mountains, God actually says to the mountains, you are going to bless my people. You are going to be such a blessing to my city and to my people. And you're going, to be, you're going to increase and be fruitful and they're going to know that I am the Lord. So Jerusalem being a city without walls points to the fact that God would bless His people beyond measure. 
that He would hold fast to His promises to grow and prosper them as, as they walked in obedience with Him. However, this promise, as mentioned, points to a greater fulfillment than that seen in Zechariah's day. Yes, Zechariah's people, the people of Zechariah's day were blessed and the population did grow and they did outgrow the city, but he's pointing to something far greater, far more encouraging to Zechariah. It's pointing to the coming of the Messiah and God's continued growth and provision for His kingdom in the church age. When we read in Acts 2, the start of the early church, this is what we read in Acts 2, 41-47. So then, those who had received His Word were baptized, and that, that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place. And it goes on and says at the end, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That the God, that the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Old Testament, was providing. He was the, also the God of the New Testament. That just as He had promised to bless His people and provide for His people, so He was doing. And we read in Acts 9.31 that the church experienced a time of peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord. We read in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build My church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we see this fulfillment of God's promise to provide for and care for His church. We see it fulfilled in the church. However, we also see it being fulfilled even more clearly and more fully in the return of Christ. In Revelation 21, 1-5, we read this, Then He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse in the throne of God, and the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night For they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. We have this picture of God providing for the church. We know that He provides for the church today. But there's an even greater provision coming. We see in the return of Christ that every one of our needs will be met personally, including that of light. For He will illumine the city, will be met by him. So having seen, number one, that He will provide for His people, let's consider the second point in our sermon outline. Number two, He will protect His people. He will protect His people. In verse 5, we read this, For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her. You see, it's likely that the people of Zechariah's day were feeling exposed. They're living in a city without walls. And they were wondering if their efforts would be undone. They're going to rebuild this temple but they're going to do so without fortification. They're building a temple, but there's, there's no walls to protect it from the enemy. And while walls were not necessarily a bad thing, the question that needed to be asked by them was, what good had the walls been in 586 B.C. when the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in the first place? What good were the walls when the Babylonians came and, and took them captive and hauled them off to Babylon? 
You see, what mattered was not the strength of the walls, but the strength of the people's relationship to the Lord. God had warned the people again and again. And He'd done it prior to the Babylonian captivity. He warned them, don't just strengthen the walls. He never said, strengthen the walls. Instead, He said, strengthen your walk with Me. Be obedient to Me. We read this in Jeremiah 25. You don't have, we don't have to read the whole thing, but if you want to write that down and look at Jeremiah 25, 1-11, you see God warning them. He says, you're going to be taken captive because you haven't listened. You haven't listened. You haven't inclined your ear to Me. You won't listen to what I say. And He says, this whole land will be a desolation and a horror and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. In other words, the city didn't need stronger walls. Instead, the people needed a stronger walk with the Lord. So getting back to our text, God brings words of comfort and He says, you may not have walls, but I will be a wall of fire around the city. Better than a wall of stone made by men, the Lord Himself would be a wall of fire. He was revealing His promise to protect His people and encouraging them to not trust in man-made forms of protection. That's why Paul could write in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8-10, through he said this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. Paul understood what it was in the midst of trial to trust in God. And in Philippians 1.6, he said, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So once again, we see this fulfillment of God's promised protection in the church today. That He protects His people. But we ultimately see its fulfillment in the return of Christ. When Jesus comes back and He rescues His church, He establishes His kingdom here on earth, and He does away with all unrighteousness, that He will be the One who protects and cares for His church and you read in Matthew 25, he says, I'm going to sift them. I'm going to separate those from those on my right from those on my left. And I'm going to say, come, you are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom. The kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That God protects us now, but we look forward to that ultimate protection where we, when He returns and where we will reign with Him. So having seen that He will provide for His people and He will protect His people, Let's consider now the third point in our sermon outline. He will be present with His people. Continuing on in verse 5, the Lord also says, and I will be a glory in her midst. In other words, God is saying that He will dwell among them. He's going to dwell among the people of Israel. He's going to dwell among the people who are there seeking to rebuild their temple. And this would have been incredibly encouraging to the people in Zechariah's day. For they weren't rebuilding the temple merely as a gathering place, but instead as the Lord's house. The place where God would dwell. You see, in Exodus, we read that the dwelling of God was the tabernacle through the wilderness. That as they walked through the wilderness, God dwelled in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And then in 1 Kings, we read that His dwelling place becomes the temple. And as the temple was built, He lived in the temple. In the holy of holies. And the glory of the Lord, it says, filled the house of the Lord. So now with the temple having been destroyed, God promises 
that as they turned to Him in obedience, that He wouldn't just dwell in the temple, but He would dwell throughout the city without walls. He'd be all through the city without walls. And that He would dwell amongst His people. That He would be a glory in their midst. And in this, we have this beautiful picture of the church written to Zechariah. That He'll be a wall of fire around her. It'll be a city without walls, without boundaries. And you know what? We're part of a kingdom. And we pledge allegiance right, to King Jesus. We're part of a kingdom, but it's a kingdom without boundaries. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are a member of that kingdom, a subject of that kingdom that has no walls. But He is a wall of fire. He is the one who surrounds us. He is the one who protects us. And He is with us. He is in our midst. We don't need to travel to Jerusalem to meet God. You know, I went to Jerusalem one time and uh, went to the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall as it sometimes is referred. And there are many Jews who actually believe that the glory of the Lord departed the temple, the Holy of Holies, that when the temple was destroyed, the glory of the Lord went into the Western Wall. And the Western Wall, by the way, is not, it's not the wall around the city. It's just a retaining wall that held up the Temple Mount. So it's, it was the wall that was closest to the Holy of Holies. And that because God didn't have a place to stay, He basically said, well, I'll live here. And He went into the Western Wall. And that they go to meet God. That the presence of God, many believe, is in the Western Wall. And as I go there, and I'm watching these people come, it's the end of the Sabbath, and they're coming and coming and coming, and they're, they're, they're standing at the wall, and they're swaying, and they're praying, and they're putting in notes in the wall to God. I am so overwhelmed with sadness. Because God's not there. I mean, sure, He's there, but He's there just like He's here. He's a glory in our midst. And that's the promise to the church. That God is with you and in you. He doesn't just reside in the temple. But to the Jews of Zechariah's day, to hear He will be a glory in your midst would have been an encouraging thought. Because God didn't have a house. He didn't have a place to dwell. Where was He? Zechariah, the Lord says to this angel and ultimately to Zechariah and to us, He will be not just a wall of fire, but He will be a glory in your midst. So this promise clearly points beyond Zechariah's day to the establishment of the church. Today we dwell in a city without walls, a kingdom without borders, and He indeed is is the glory in our midst. That's why John 14, He says, He abides with you. He says, I'm going to send this. I'll ask the Father, Jesus says, and I'm going to send a Helper the Holy Spirit, and He's going to abide with you and be in you. He is going to be a glory in your midst. Where does the Spirit of God reside? It resides here in us. And again, this promise is seen not only in the church, but also points forward to the return of Christ, where we see an even greater fulfillment. In Revelation 21, 1-4, as we read earlier, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This time, by the way, with walls. But but the walls are ornate and made of stone, and not for the purpose of protection. For he says the gates, they're going to be open. And they're going to be open every day, and they don't need to close them at night. You know why? Because there is no night. And people will be able to go and come as they please, because they are God's people. 
And they'll have full access to this city. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, is among men, and He will dwell among them. The point of this is that God, Jesus Christ, is indeed coming back, and He will dwell here on earth in this new new earth and new Jerusalem, and we will dwell with Him for the rest of eternity. So when we sing, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've only just begun. Praise God that He will dwell and His glory will be with us. And we can look forward to that day in eternity. So by way of review, We've seen these promises that He will provide for His people, that He will protect His people, and He will be present with His people. And we see the fulfillment in the church that He has provided for His people, that He has protected His people, and that He is present with His people. But also we see a future fulfillment where He's going to provide for us heaven, and He's going to protect us by giving us a, a world with all, without unrighteousness, without sin. And He's going to be present. He's going to dwell with us. That we're going to have access physical access to the Lord Jesus as we walk with Him on the streets in that city. So now let's look. With all that in mind, that's the first half of our sermon. With all that in mind, let's look at verses 6-13 through and ask the question, how were the people of Zechariah's day supposed to apply this vision? They get this vision. How are they supposed to apply it? Well, number one, they were to trust in His provision. So in other words, we read verses 6-9. through He says, Ho there, or come on is the point. Come on, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I've dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Ho, Zion! Escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. Get away from Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, because not all of them had returned. He says, come back from Babylon. Escape. Return to Me. Trust in My provision. After glory, or this is a hard passage to to, um, translate, but I think he's saying, in pursuit of glory, in pursuit of my glory, he has sent me against the nations to plunder you. He's going to plunder these nations for his own glory. Because he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. You're like the apple of his eye. And those nations who hurt you, they're going to pay. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. He says, get away from Babylon. Run from there and return to the place of God's provision. Number two, they were to rejoice in His protection. He says, sing for joy. This is verses 10-12. through Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become My people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent Me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as His portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. He says, rejoice, for I'm going to be the one who's going to protect you. I'm coming to you. I'm going to dwell in your midst. So trust in My provision. Rejoice in My protection. And then thirdly, they were to stand in awe of His presence. Verse 13, he says, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for He is aroused from His holy habitation. In other words, he's saying, He is aroused. He's not sleeping. He's active. He's alive and well. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Sovereign One. He is in control. And this word flesh refers not to disobedience so much as it is weakness. 
He says, trust Him. Don't just trust in your walls. Don't just trust in man-made fortresses. But instead, stand in awe of the Lord who has made a provision and will protect His people. He is alive and active. So then the big question is this. So how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically, apply all of this to our life? So we've seen what they should have done. The people of Zechariah's day should have said, let's get out of Babylon. Let's go back to Jerusalem because God's made this provision. He's going to build up Jerusalem and He's going to bless it and I want to be part of that blessing. And I know that He's going to protect it. Yeah, there's no walls, but you know what? He's going to be a wall of fire and He's going to be the glory in in their midst. So we need to get back to Jerusalem and we need to stand in awe of His presence, not trust in ourselves for we're just flesh that's going to die one day. We're just weak human flesh. Instead, we trust in the God of the universe, the one who is sovereign. So how do we then take that and apply that to our lives? Well, it's the same thing. Number one, we need to trust in His provision. We need to trust in His provision. We need to flee from Babylon. Many of us live in spiritual Babylon. God has made a provision. He's made a way of escape, and we have not. many have not taken that way of escape. You see, God sent His Son. Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God. We've broken God's law. And in light of that, the wages of that sin, it's called sin, the wages of that sin is death. But God has made a provision. He's made a provision through His Son that Jesus came and paid the price, the penalty for our sin. He took the judgment that we rightly deserved. That every one of us will stand before God and that if we stand before God and just present our good works, that it won't be enough. That we stand guilty before God. But He's made a provision through His Son Jesus, the One who lived a perfect life, the One who died in our place so that we might live. So we need to trust in that provision. But then for those of us who have made that decision... We need to also flee spiritual Babylon day by day. We need to run from captivity and run to the place of freedom, to spiritual Jerusalem, to freedom in Jesus. We need to trust in His promises. So we need to trust His provision. Number two, we need to rejoice in His protection. We need to not trust in our own walls. I think far too often as believers, we trust in the protections that life can afford or that we can buy for ourselves. We trust in our retirement. We trust in our abilities. We trust in whatever we trust in. We need to not trust in our own walls. Instead, we need to rejoice in His protection. We need to look to Him to be a wall of fire around us and rejoice in that protection that He provides. And then number three, we need to stand in awe of His presence. We need to know that He is in control you know, in the times of life when, when life gets difficult and when it seems like everything is spiraling out of control, we should look back to the people of Zechariah's day who are living in a city where the walls have been destroyed. The temple has yet to be rebuilt. There's only a remnant of them there. And God comes to them and He says, trust my provision. Know that I'm going to protect you and stand in awe of my presence because I am sovereign. Be silent before me. You can't do this, but I can. 
For I am aroused from my holy habitation. I am awake. I am active. I am in this. Zechariah again and again refers to God as the Lord of hosts, the one who is sovereign and who is in control. So we need to stand in awe of His presence and say, Lord, I commit my life to You because I know that You are in control and that You are working all things together for good in my life as a follower of Jesus and that You ultimately will rescue me and take me home to heaven. So we look forward to that provision that He'll provide in heaven and that protection that He'll provide in heaven as we stand in awe of His presence. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. God, I pray that You be with us now. That You just help us to honor You. Help us to live in light of Your promises. God, I thank You for Your grace. And I pray that as we live our lives, God, that we would trust in Your provision. God, that we would rejoice in Your protection. And God, that we would stand in awe in Your presence. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.